Hey lab mates and welcome to the STEM Lab Podcast, where we highlight women in STEM, that is science, technology, engineering, and math, especially women of color. I'm your host, Dr. Sabrina Walfall, and I am here with Dr. Nadia Glover Barnett, an assistant professor of human services at Mercer University. Dr. Barnett earned her PhD in counselor education and supervision, along with her MS in community counseling at Mercer University. Her BS in psychology from Howard University. She has been teaching in higher education for 15 years and possesses nearly 16 years of clinical experience in the areas of adult inpatient care, outpatient treatment, partial hospitalization, utilization reviews, assessment, and postmaster supervision. She is a national certified counselor and approved clinical supervisor. She maintains professional membership with the American Counselor Association, Southern Association of Counselor Education and Supervision, the Georgia ACA, the Licensed Professional Counselor Association of Georgia, Collaboration for Excellence in Educational Quality Assurance, and the National Organization for Human Services. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Barnett. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Walthall. I appreciate the invitation. I am so glad to have you here with me. Uh, Usually we do our mental health uh, quarterly report with uh, our in-house nurse, uh, LaShawn Carvin, who's also my bestie. Uh, And so she... um, has had a couple of things going on. And I realized in talking to you that you were someone who could also contribute to our mental health corner. So I am just, again, happy to have you here and glad that you decided to share with the STEM Lab podcast audience your wealth of information. Um, As I said, as we were talking and getting ready for the podcast, I said to you, you know, we're going back to school. And so there's a lot going on um, we're coming from a pandemic. <laughs> We're running into an epidemic, I guess, in monkeypox. And so, you know, I feel like there's just so much going on. And so I just wanted us to have a conversation so our my audience could feel um, mentally well or know how to be mentally well as we move mm-hmm. through this. Well, I'll ask you, Dr. Burnett, to uh, share with the audience a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we'll dive on into our conversation for today. Okay. Well, I currently um, am working at Mercy University as an assistant professor for human services in the Department of Psychology and Human Services. And my background is in counseling. I am a, a licensed clinical mental health counselor in the state of Georgia. I also have a certification in uh, providing supervision to those counselors who are still in training. And um, I have also uh, been exposed to the uh, the world of telemental health uh, through a certification program as well. Um, outside of that, my uh, clinical background ranges from working with a community-based hospital here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, working on the inpatient units, the crisis unit, 
and then I moved to outpatient. So really having an opportunity for about a decade to engage with individuals that are and continue to struggle with their mental health as it relates to diagnosis ranging from schizophrenia, bipolar, um, all the way down to anxiety, um, depression, and substance abuse, alcohol use, and everything in between, um, dealing with um, or assisting patients who may have um, made attempts to end their life, um, made attempts to um, make changes or decisions that were not in their best interest, um, and having to work through in an emergency and or outpatient setting with helping in these individuals build coping skills, coping mechanisms, learning how to make better decisions for themselves, which started my interest in self-care. And, you know, at the end of the day, we need to take care of ourselves. And so I went back and got a doctorate degree um, in counselor ed and supervision after um, this period of time working in mental health. And my dissertation was on self-care um, and the importance of it and why it not only benefits the individual, but it benefits all of all of the people that surround that individual and, and care. Um, from there, the transition has really been in understanding uh, or looking at and being more curious about outside of self-care, what can support an individual choosing to care for themselves? Well, it's really based in their social and emotional development and how that was cultivated as children for adults and how adults, parents, guardians, teachers can help to cultivate those skills in children. Um, and so kind of looking bigger picture at the end of the day, we want to have um, individuals that can contribute to our society in a healthy way, whether that be at whatever job or career field that they're in, in addition to their families, and what's the foundation for that person becoming a healthy contributor. Um, it really is not based on how intellectual that person is. Um, mm -hmm. And this is according to my, my, um, my opinion based on things that I've read, um, but it's, it's based upon how the individual can connect with others and in through, in through that connection with others, take care of themselves. Um, and so that's kind of where that social emotional developmental piece comes in. Um, and so as we talk, that's really the frame of reference that I'm going to come from or uh, my perspective that I'll be speaking from is social emotional. I appreciate that. And I think that's um, very important. Just when I think about social and emotional health, I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, my kids, of course, were at home. And I remember my daughter coming to me and she was like, I just can't take this. And I was like, uh, can't take what? Because for real, I was just not understanding. And um, <clears throat> she said, I just don't like not, you know, being able to be around my friends or see my friends. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I had totally forgot she was a social butterfly. So that personal interaction was really important to her and for me uh 
it was not as much and I don't think as much for my son. And so that um, kind of moved me to try and make sure that we had outdoor activities where we could go where there were other people that she might be able to see um, or when I went out to places because of course, like any parent, initially I wouldn't take kids with me, but then I, you know, started letting her double mask up and go with me just so she could have that. And so um, I think that was my first clue that the social aspect of um, just your mental health was really something that was important. And for her, it was more so being able to uh, be a part of her extrovertedness. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I did. And it's funny, like, um, I don't know, you know, that, you know, you have two kids and they're so totally different because my yep. other child, my son can sit in his room all day and just like never touch a thing and talk to anybody, just him and his game and his friends <laughs> online and he'd be fine. Mm -hmm. But for her, that wasn't it. So I hear you. Well, look, so usually when I start these conversations, I'll, uh, have had something that sparked it for me or I came up with some article somewhere. And I was looking at um, one from the National Education Association. And it said the bottom line on student learning today is this. You can't teach if you're not addressing mental health. Uh, and this is from Renee Myers, the intervention specialist. And I know with both of us being uh, professors, and teaching. And I know a lot of my audience are those that are in the teaching profession as well. Um, mm -hmm. In the classroom, what do you think someone uh, like myself, yourself, or a teacher can do to address mental health? Is there anything in particular that we should look at or be doing? Uh, well, I think have, hopefully having support from the mental health professionals that are in the school, the school district. Let me just say, start there. Hopefully that there will be some support. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, in the classroom, I think it's very important to set boundaries. Okay. So even if someone is having, even if a child a young student is having or struggling with a mental health related um, issue, illness, anxiety, depression. We need to encourage students to learn how to think critically in the midst of their emotional experience. Now, that may not sound like it makes sense, but, but, I think about the future. So I think about what am I doing today or what can I do today to prepare this student to be five years down the line, 10 years down the line? Do I want this student to be the college student that's emotionally unable to handle um, being in the midst of stress and they make decisions that damage their academic journey um, or make decisions that are not in the best interest. And boundaries help to create an opportunity for students to stop and think. Mm -hmm. um, so they may be in the midst of the emotion, whether they're having an emotional breakdown in the classroom or they're 
they're experiencing something internally that they are not sharing verbally. The idea is that, or, or my perspective is that life is going to do that for all of us. We're all going to come to a situation or be in a situation where emotionally there's a lot going on, mm-hmm. but we have, we've, we have had to learn how to operate despite that emotional distress. And one way is to set boundaries. So if there's a child that's having a tantrum, the boundary is we do not physically harm other people. We do not um, cause property damage. Even though you're experiencing this, that those actions are going to provide more consequences than you want, right? So let's have an opportunity to either, if it's a very intense emotional outburst, have the student step out. If there's if there's someone that, you know, depending on high school or uh, elementary age, if the child can step out with someone, great. If the child cannot do that and you can pull that child to a corner and have the rest of the class do something else and you be with that child, that all those feelings, if they if they're coming out, let them come out. Then we're going to talk about, okay, let's just breathe. I don't even want you to try to talk to me in this state. I just want you to breathe. Mm. The stopping the and the breathing is another opportunity for that child to learn. When I feel this way or when this is going on, I need to stop and breathe, take my time. Let, if it's the crying, get the crying out. If, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to holler. We're not going to throw. We're not going to, all of those extra behavioral components are not going to make the emotion come out any faster. Um, And so those are consequences you don't want. So even in the midst, you're going to still educate the child about, okay, we're not going to do that because then you doing that is going to cause me to do this. And when, if I do that, that means you're going to have this consequence. It's just like having a conversation with a college student. And I have to say, we're not going to behave like this. I know that you're going through something that's very traumatic in this moment you're experiencing, but we're not going to do that because that behavior is going to require me to do something. And if I do that, then it's going to be something else on top of what you're experiencing that you're going to have to deal with. So I don't think that's a smart move. Um, similar conversations I would have with clients in my office who would get so upset, they would threaten to punch walls. And, and, and I would calmly say, I hear what you're saying. I understand the frustration, but if you do that, I'm going to have to do this. Um, and so that really sets the boundary with regards to it's okay to have those emotional outbursts but you're not going to have them with those behaviors because that comes with consequences in this space, right? So in the space of the school, in the space of, you know, wherever it, wherever it is public, because we can only assume that maybe those behaviors are okay or not. Okay. Maybe those, those behaviors don't come with consequences at, at home, but they need to learn just like you act one way in school, you act one way in the library, you act one way in church. It's the same thing. 
Um, And so, you know, setting boundaries on what is appropriate, being very clear on what consequences are, regardless of what they're experiencing. Um, And I think that's a good start. Um, I think boundaries and consequences and just being clear about what you're going to do or what you are required to do helps an individual to stop and think. And that's really what we want our young students to do is despite feeling overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, upset, frustrated, they need to still be able to stop and think because that's the type of person we want to work with in the future. We want those individuals to stop, right? No, that is so important. I mean, um, I think when you first started off and you like critically thinking and I was like, uh, of course, and then I, but yeah, also I was like, but when you're so emotional, can you critically think? Because even as an adult, you know, it's that, but you mentioned it, you said you have to breathe, have to just take mm-hmm. a deep breath because mm-hmm. girl, look, <laughs> you know me. So I definitely have to just sit back and breathe deeply. And I always said, center myself. And that's what I tell yeah. my kids. I was like, center yourself, find your core. We'll remember yep. who you are and you go from that. Uh, for my son, yep. I always tell him, lead with kindness because he's a really kind guy. So I was like, find that first before you lash out. But right. um, I think you've given some great pointers for us on the side of teaching. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, set the boundaries. And mm-hmm. I um, think all of us understand that that's really important for us to do. Uh, let there be known that there are consequences to actions. Uh, and sometimes um, students may not understand that, you know, there is a consequence when you yes. speak in that tone um, yes. or when you um, <laughs> in verbally <a laughs> punch a wall in a classroom. And then you said to be clear on what to do. And I think, you know, with comp- consequences, uh, when we establish them to understand that And I think you said it best. If you do this, this will then cause this to happen, which is now something else you have to deal with on top of what you're already dealing with. And that's really important to make people, even children, realize that, hey, you know, once you do this, you know, you can, as I tell my son, it's a snowball effect. Like, and you can stop the snowball at any point. (laughs) It's just how big do you want this to get, you know? (laughs) And so uh, for Students of all levels, I think those are really good pointers to be shared. Um, So thank you for that. Uh, Now, because, of course, as you were talking, I was like, so, and you said it, you said, you know, that's assuming if there are consequences for things that happen at home. And it's like, so the parents also have um, a role to play in this. So let's get into that a bit, because I know um, from knowing what my audience, the age range, a lot of us are parents and a lot of us have kids who are in school and who are, of course, facing uh, some of these um, challenges, because this is maybe the first year that everybody is fully back to school. You know, we went from fully virtual to then Mm -hmm. hybrid where we were virtual sometimes and then in school other times. And now, 
you know, the doors are open. Everybody is <laughs> in school. And so now you got kids who are coming in and um, for the parents to help them get themselves ready and centered for yes. school. I was looking at um, a website, uh, the Mental Health America, and it mm -hmm. has some helping at home tips for parents. Mm -hmm. And I just want to uh, read a few. And I think you um, have really touched on it. And one of them is the first rule of caring for your child's emotional or behavioral struggles is that there are no rules. Um, it says that parent here doesn't come with a manual and there will be a lot of trial and error as you figure out what works best to help your child. Mm -hmm. uh, and it tells them to cover the basics uh, before you dismiss your child's outburst as a lack of control. Ask yourself if there's a simple explanation for what's going on. Um, are they hot, cold, hungry, thirsty, overstimulated? Did they get enough sleep? Are they feeling under the weather? And then mm -hmm. pick your battles. <laughs> Ask yourself, is a specific behavior doing any harm or is it just annoying? Um, is it worth arguing over? Um, mm -hmm. Resist the urge to raise your voice. And I think these are just talking about things that you can do when you're at home with your child to help yes. them begin to, for you, first of all, to begin to control the situation and begin to start setting those boundaries for you and the child at home so they know about them when they get to school. Um, yeah. Are there any others that you, uh, or any that you uh, know that a parent might need to use uh, when they're talking about helping their child getting prepared to go to school? And how would, did they keep, yeah. And how, how they and just how they can help their child get prepared to go to school and handle all of the um, the rules and regulations that are now going to come that they may have not seen over mm -hmm. these last few years because we've been in and out of the schoolhouse. Uh, you mm -hmm. talk to us as teachers on what we should do when we're looking at a kid. But what about the parent aspect of it? I think one, in, just in terms of having to get used to rules and regulations that can be mirrored in the house. So, and what comes with that because of the past two years, we have all had to be flexible. So this is a wonderful opportunity to help your child or your children learn that one, there, there have to be rules in place for mm -hmm. safety, health, but also we have to be flexible, meaning that maybe there were rules for the summer that do not apply when we're in school, just as an example. So I have, um, I have two kids and my son, um, he, my daughter's in kindergarten. So during the summer, she was in daycare school. Um, and my son, he's in the fifth grade now. So I decided um, that I would give him a break this summer and he didn't go to summer camp. So two weeks before school started, I started making him go to bed like we're going to school. Mm -hmm. And he had a hard time with that boy because during the summer, I just let him go to bed whenever. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, the summertime was just free for all. And right. 
And so I said, you know, I'll give him that this summer, but two weeks before, and I would prep him uh, probably three weeks before to say, okay, we're going to start going to bed. We're all going to start going to bed as if we got to get up to go to school because we've been, we've had a great summer and we've, you know, it's been free fall, but we have to reel it back in because what's not, this is not going to work when school starts. And so that's just an example of one changing the, the policies or procedures at home. And so the rules at home, um, but and preparing your child for the change. It is mm-hmm. not, we as adults would not appreciate it if we came into work and there was a whole new set of operations that we had to abide by, right? That would be annoying, frustrating for us. So we have to take that same mentality to our children and be more compassionate with regards to, okay, I wouldn't like it. So how can I not do the same thing to my child? Like, oh, it's Sunday. You got to go to bed early because you got school tomorrow. How can I help this child or these children transition into this new routine? That's the mm-hmm. third thing is having a routine. Um, and if you really? don't have a routine, create a routine. Um, and r- a routine for the what happens after school, a routine for what we do in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, of course, a different routine for the weekends. But some type of routine where the child or children can... Um, they will not be anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow because they'll know tomorrow is school. So we, you know, we get, we have to go to bed by a certain time. We get up by a certain time. This is the morning routine. Um, and we go to school, we come home. This is the after school routine. This is what mm-hmm. happens when we're ready for bed. Routines and structures, we have probably heard this our whole lives. It brings us a sense of calmness to know what to expect. And so that still holds true even till today. Routines and structure help children to be calm about what to expect. And so those would be the things that we can do at home. In addition, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find that my frustration comes when I see myself in my kids and how they act, how they speak to me is a reflection of myself. And so it's in those moments where I have to really pull back (laughs) and watch my tone. Those things that you mentioned, watch your tone, pick your battle. I have to pick my battles and watch my tone in those moments. And so, you know, I would say the best thing we could do as a parent is look in the mirror and see ourselves and understand that our children have, have part of us in them. And so how we behave and how we act is going to come back on us. Now, if those are characteristics that you want your child to have, you think that 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 will help your child move forward in life, great. But if if there are characteristics that your child has that you know won't be to their benefit, this is an opportunity not only for your child to change, but probably for you to change. For example, I know a mother who struggles with going to bed on time. 
So, of course, she has a daughter who also struggles with going to bed on time or going to mm-hmm. bed with in terms of sleeping well at night to get up in the morning. So because she doesn't go to bed by a certain time and her child doesn't, they struggle getting up in the morning. They struggle. She's yelling at her child. I told her to get up and she's not up. And I don't know why it takes her so long. And I, what's we have to leave the house to get to school. And she's still doing this. And and this is a friend of mine. And I had to say, well, how, when are you getting her up? Well, no, I told her to get up. Oh, okay. And she's been able to get up on her own. Well, no, I have to yell at her. So then she probably needs your help to get her up. And she probably means that needs your help going to bed by a certain time. And you probably need to go to bed by a certain time yourself in order to help her, right? To help our children. Sometimes we got to do the, we got to do the same things too. Um, Being a parent is the hardest job in the world, being a parent. Um, And so, because you, you are faced with yourself every day. Yeah. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, if we're going to give our, our kids, you know, some grace, we need to make sure we're giving that grace to us, to ourselves as well. So, yeah, I know I can go on and on, but I I know we got some questions to get to. (laughs) Well, I laugh at this because um, when you <laughs> you said a, a lot here, uh, but as a parent, uh, that's the things that uh, we sometimes see in our kids are usually things that are about ourselves. Um, and as you talk about your friend who has the hard time, I am not a morning person. Just never have been, which is why I teach in an evening college, right? But I realized early on in life that my daughter, <laughs> she is like her grandmother, up at the crack of dawn, singing, flitting around the house, like, what? Like, why? Why are you doing this? But my daughter, as she grew older, first mm-hmm. she realized she did not like being late for things. And if it's early in the morning, I don't make her late. So she took it up on herself. And it's so funny. Uh, and I was, I just, I pray for your friend, one of her kids to find this <laughs> because my daughter wakes the whole house up. She took it up on herself. She realized she wanted to be to school on time. And she also <laughs> understood that I wasn't a morning person. So she wakes everybody up. She comes and she'll say, you have 15 minutes. You need to get up. <laughs> And get on your clothes so you can take us to school. I feel embarrassed to tell this to my entire podcast audience, but this is who it is. That, let me tell you what I hear. I hear a young woman, or excuse me, a young lady who is who has identified a problem created a solution, implemented that solution to resolve the problem and ultimately advocate for herself. And she's doing it in a way that's very respectful. And, you know, it's not like she's like, it's time to take me to school. But no, she's she's giving you some prep time. <laughs> to, you know. So that's what I think that's really, really good. And she was able to pick up, okay, mornings, mom is not good in the morning, but we need her to get up so we can go to school. Yeah. How are we going to do this, right? She resolved an issue on her own in a very um, compassionate way. And 
that's great. I think that is so great. <laughs> Thank you. I look, and I, I do know. I tell my daughter, you, you God knew what I needed because you are totally a gem, and she really is. Like you said, advocate for herself. This is everywhere with everybody at every school, no matter what. You know, she is going. <laughs> she got to let you know what she did not find right and what she thinks should be done well. Um, but like you said, she does do it respectfully because I never have felt like, you know, sometimes you go, am I the parent or is she? But for the <laughs> most part, I have felt like, you know, she realized that help was needed and she just took the initiative to do so. Even her yeah. brother said, well, Maylene usually wakes us up and I had to tell him, you, she's not going to be around you all the time. You got to learn how to do it yourself. And I said, when I know I need to get up, I set an alarm. And that's the thing, you know, because mm -hmm. she has said, you never late for work. I'm not. Because right. <laughs> I understand. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but I, I just thought that was funny as we were talking, as you were talking and yeah. you did that. So podcast audience, all of my lab mates, please don't hold it against me that I am uh, the parent that <laughs> likes a little sleep. It's from college studying, I promise you. I'm so used to being up late. So, <laughs> Nadia, we, I thank you, though, for that. Uh, I think the parents, as parents, we needed to hear um, how we can best help serve our children at home to then help it uh, make sense for them when they're at school and teachers are dealing with them. And thank you for sharing with us as teachers what we should possibly do when we're looking at students and how we can help them. Um, and I bring this quarterly just because for our community, I think mental health is not talked about enough. And um, I always think, you know, that there are just so many things that we skim over because we always have been taught to pray about it. And I'm not saying not pray about it, but I want us to pray with understanding, uh, understanding, you know, <clears throat> if I think my grandma, you said, if you take one step, God will take two. So you're yes. one step that is at least not acknowledging that there's yes. an issue, acknowledging that there's a problem, understanding what that problem might be and how you might be able to help and then moving us forward. So I just want our audience to understand uh, where I'm coming from when I bring them these type of conversations. Absolutely. I have two, if if two last comments are, were we, I didn't know if we were about to close, but I just want to have cl two closing comments or remarks okay. if possible. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in talking or sharing about your daughter was uh, that I received was that she talks to you, right? So, uh, so I would encourage parents to pay attention and listen when their kids are talking to them. Um, that could be the first indicator or sign, that, that opportunity of listening can be the first indicator or sign that there's something different going on um, or there's a change that's happening. You, can, you could hear it, either the way they're talking to you has changed or what they're saying has changed, but that's just an opportunity as parents to do so. Um, and two, 
to seek help when, when, and whenever you need it. Um, mm-hmm. And that could be talking to other, um, other parents, other people in the community. Um, if you don't have access to mental health or you need resources, there are, you can just Google online mental health in my area and things will come up. Um, you know, as a, uh, as a mental health professional, as a college professor, I'm an advocate for therapy. I have a therapist of my own. I, I'm open to admitting that. Um, it's an opportunity for me to, um, to share my frustrations with someone to help me process whatever it is I may be going through. And then I can mirror that with my kids. So I mm-hmm. allow them to share, but then I also share with them. I think, yes, I think it's important for kids to see that parents are humans just like them. Right. Mm-hmm. And it kind of takes away the myth that mom and dad is like superheroes. Nothing bothers them and they want to be like us. So we have to be responsible with how we are modeling to our kids because they see us now, and and my son will say, you know, I don't see where you make mistakes, and but he doesn't, and I tell him all the time, you don't see the years that I had to learn, and the mistakes yeah. and failures that I've had to get to this point, right? And so I've had to let him see me make mistakes, to, and it's a very humbling experience to let your kids see that you can't do something, but yeah. it's it is valuable for them to see, oh, practicing something is important. Making mistakes and having failures is okay. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And you can still accomplish whatever it is that you want to do, even if you've made a thousand mistakes or even if you failed a thousand times. Um, I, I think we need to do away with this idea that bright children, intellectual children that score, you know, over and beyond on their SATs or GREs or whatever it might be, don't have failures because they do. Um, And, um, you know, unfortunately, social media on top of that, it looks like people just are perfect um, and they're not. So if we can in the home, uh, even if you a mistake of you cook something the wrong way intentionally and the kids like, oh, this doesn't taste the same. Oh, my gosh, mom, you know, or, or oh, my gosh, dad, you didn't do this right. We shouldn't take those personally. That's an opportunity for the kids to see. It's OK. We we can not get it right. And we will still be all right. We'll still eat well. We'll still have somewhere to sleep. We'll still, you know, things will still continue on. Um, and so those are those are my last comments as it relates to some of the things that we can do um, as parents and and hopefully those that are teachers um, as well. Wow. Well, Dr. Barnett, I thank you so much. Uh, as you just said, um, one of the big things that we can do is to listen to our kids and let our kids see that we have made a mistake and that that is a part of the learning process so that they don't understand that they understand that life is not perfect and neither are we uh you making the comment about uh social media showing such a perfect life and our kids are so embedded in social media that to understand the people that you see in your home every day 
uh, are real people and they can make mistakes just like anyone else. Yeah. And I think that's very important as well. Um, to end with just, you know, my audience, glad <laughs> makes you all know I love a statistic. So looking at the National Alliance for Mental Health, it tells us that one in six youth have a mental health condition like anxiety or depression, but only half receive any mental health services. And so as Dr. Barnett was saying, um, that you should seek out and look for treatment. It says that early treatment is effective and can help young people stay in school and on track to achieving their goals. In fact, the earlier the treatment, the better the outcomes and the lower the cost. So for people between the ages of 15 to 40 years experiencing symptoms of psychosis, there's an average delay of 74 weeks, nearly 1.5 years before getting treated. That's a lot. In fact, suicide is the second leading cause of death for youth ages 10 to 34. And so what we're hoping from this conversation is that you understand that um, it is okay to have an issue because no one is perfect. And it's even more okay for you to seek help if you do. Um, Dr. Barnett is certified and I don't know if she has any information of where she can be reached? I know we are always looking for uh, professionals of color um, sometimes because they do understand the culture um, much more than <laughs> others might. So, Dr. Barnett, would you um, have any resource or way that they can reach you in particular if they wanted to? Absolutely. Um, you can reach me at Mercer. So my email address is Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T -T underscore N, like not yet, and G, like lover, at mercer.edu. Feel free to email me. I am always willing to share any resources or information that I may know um, or can make connections um, for you. Um, I don't have my own practice at the moment because I'm primarily teaching full time, but um, I am always a, a mental health counselor at heart by trade. It's just ingrained in me. And so um, I'm definitely available. We thank you so much for that, Nadia. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I forget counselors I also have practices and then they teach. Uh, mm -hmm. Just personal note, Nadia is, I think, my personal counselor. <laughs> she didn't intend to do that. We became colleagues and I realized she was so easy to talk to. But we always on the podcast want you to be able to reach out and find what you need in order to live a better life and better health. Although I yes. love talking about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, I do believe having a healthy mind is very important. And just having a healthy life and mental health is all about that, is, is all a part of that. And so, again, this is why we bring these conversations to you. So, Dr. Barnett, we want to thank you once again for being here on the podcast with me. Y'all, I got new tools, so we got hand claps going out. <laughs> but it has been such a pleasure, and you have definitely given us as teachers and then as parents uh, some good gems that we could use in order to help ourselves and also to help our children and our students succeed. 
uh, in this upcoming school year. Uh, so once again, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I am looking forward to talking with talking again about anything, um, any other topics that you feel I could contribute to. And yes. um, I appreciate your listeners. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. And we'll uh, meet with you soon, lab mates. I promise. <laughs>